The second annual PetCon NYC will take place November 17th and 18th at the Javits Center. In case you're not familiar, PetCon is two days of insightful panels, fun activations, and can't-miss meet-and-greets with your favorite celebrity pets like Tuna Melts My Heart, Harlow and Sage, and Hamlet the Piggy. You'll discover new brands and can shop our highly curated selection of innovative favorite products. Hang out in the dog adoption garden and adoptable cat cafe, and maybe even bring home a furry best friend or two. Make sure to visit petcon.co, that's P-E-T-C-O-N dot C-O, and get your tickets today. You won't want to miss this. Now back to our podcast. Hi, I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too. The whole idea is to build this community of fostering. It takes a whole team of people who are like, oh, I can donate grooming or I can help drive this dog from place to place. So when we're sharing dogs from all these organizations, it's helping the whole rescue effort, not just one organization or one shelter. That was Sarah Brasky, founder of Foster Dogs, a nonprofit organization that connects rescue organizations, fosters, and other partners to help dogs in need. Sarah will discuss how Foster Dogs is bringing awareness to fostering, their famous fosters program, their education workshops to make fostering easy, and more. Now let's get back to Sarah. So how did you get started with adoption and fostering? Were you always a dog lover? Where did it start? My parents will remind me that it was pretty much from the moment I was born. Even when I was little, I was obsessed with dogs and we would go hiking as a family and like I like the outdoors, but not enough to just like want to go on a hike by myself. And my parents discovered that when a dog was in front of me on the trail, they could get me to go up a mountain. So that was my initial experience with dogs was just like out and about. I would follow them. (laughs) And then um, that's pretty much been my life. And I convinced my parents eventually to get me a dog. And I learned about adoption and rescue just sort of through we started off with a dog from the pet store and I learned about like puppy mills and what that was about and we as a family decided that our next dog would be a shelter dog and so we picked out a puppy from the animal shelter and he was just the best and I wanted other people to experience that and to go save a dog so over the years I discovered that this was my passion and purpose and rescue, specifically fostering, was something that I wanted other people to become passionate and excited about. And it took many years to figure out like how to use those skills and passions and to create my own voice. And I, I think now I've gotten there. What was the process like in creating foster dogs? When I graduated from college, I discovered that there was this need for a fostering organization, just somebody promoting what is fostering, taking a dog out of the shelter and keeping them in your home and treating them like your own dog and helping them get adopted. The process was pretty easy because there wasn't any other organization like this. I started off fostering my own dog and started a website. And this was a dog from the ACC, the New York City Shelter. I started this website, fosterdogsnyc.com, and I said, I want there to be just a central resource of dogs that are available, information, and just focus on New York City for now. I started the website, 
And then over the years, people started coming in saying, I want to be a volunteer. Can you host an adoption event? Can we partner with your organization? And it just totally was a grassroots effort over the years. And how long was it from starting it to it becoming your main focus? It was a while. I only have been doing this full time for about three years. And before that, I went through different types of career experiences. So I started Foster Dogs and I was working in film marketing in New York City. And then I I went to work as a restaurant assistant manager in a hotel. And that was a really cool experience doing hospitality. And then I went to grad school for education and I was a preschool teacher. Uh, and throughout this whole time, I was doing Foster Dogs. And finally, I decided that it was teaching or running this organization, and I I couldn't do both. And so finally, I I said, you know what? I have to be able to make this sustainable. I have to find funding. And I found enough to make it work for a little while. And over the years, we've gotten more grant funding and been able to sustain the organization so I can do this full time. But it was a I had to do it. I couldn't do anything else. And what was that process like in finding grants and finding that funding? It's tough. I mean, it's constantly a work in progress. I still have a very, very limited budget with the organization. We're a 501c3, and so whenever someone donates to us, it's tax deductible, which is great, but you know, you still have to spend time uh, connecting with people and explaining what fostering is about and why they should donate to help the cause. I'm just always looking for new ways to come up with funding and explaining what we do so that people feel like this is something they want to get behind. And what is your day-to-day like now? We run events quite often at Foster Dogs. We do puppy parties. That could be sometimes once a week, once every few weeks. So we bring adoptable dogs into the office. I'm having meetings. I'm running adoption events. So every day is different, which is exciting, but also can be a little hectic. And uh, like, for example, yesterday, I spent half the day at the vet with the new dog that we rescued from the shelter. And he has to get his teeth pulled and he's kind of a mess, but it's a necessary part of rescue is to get the dog fixed up so that they can get adopted. Um, So I sort of landed a foster dog of my own. And beyond that, you know, uh, connecting with volunteers. Yeah, every day is different. And that's not even to mention, I have two dogs and a baby at home. <laughs> so there's that too. Can you walk us through the process? Foster Dogs has a really unique purpose and mission in that we're helping so many local rescue groups place their dogs into foster care. So when we post a dog on our Instagram or Facebook or, or website, whatever, it could be with any of the hundreds of rescue groups just in the New York City area alone. Sometimes we're posting dogs from around the country. And it's not all dogs that we necessarily pulled directly from the shelter because the whole idea is to build this community of fostering. And we want not only people to feel passionate about fostering, but rescuers and shelter staff and volunteers with all the local rescue groups because it it does take a village and it takes a whole team of people who are like, oh, I can donate grooming or I can help drive this dog from place to place. And we all work together. So when we're sharing dogs from all these organizations, it's helping the whole rescue effort, not just one organization or one shelter. And when you're 
starting and approaching these rescue groups, what was their response to this foster? Because I feel like it's kind of new. People weren't really doing this as much. Yeah, the organization itself still is its own unique entity, and I haven't seen anything else like it anywhere in the world. Um, But what makes us special is that there's the trust there. I personally have been doing this since 2009, but uh, my volunteers have been connected to other rescue groups as well. They foster with various organizations. And we remain, I sort of call it like rescue agnostic. So we're not saying this is our one rescue group that we work with. We're saying here's a whole bunch that we have worked with. We've posted their dogs. We've seen how they treat their fosters. And so we want people to feel excited about connecting to all these other organizations. And that makes those rescue groups and shelters feel excited to come to us because it's this even playing field. We, we want them to trust us because we're sharing their dog's information. We're sharing people who want to foster with the rescuers and we're bringing their dogs to events. And that's a big level of, of trust and liability, but we, we do it because it works and it's positive and it's just always been a great experience having people not know what fostering is and then you know five minutes later feel like this is something they need to do when you first started approaching these rescue groups was there any pushback on the concept of fostering or was everyone just open arms let's go there were some groups who said you know, we're, we don't really put our dogs into foster care. We'll pay for them to stay in boarding, but it's just easier for, for our group if the dogs just stay in a boarding kennel where we know where they are and we can go pick them up at any time. But what I'll say to that is fostering is a wholly different experience and the dog will get exercise, get new photos, get shared on that person's own social media accounts. So there's so much benefit to putting a dog into foster care. And some groups, it's taken a little longer for them to see the beauty of that. For example, there was this one dog that we helped a couple years ago. Her name is Onyx. And she is this little black pit bull mix. Her teeth were showing. Like she had a fight when she was young and her lips sort of looked deformed. Like she was growling. But she wasn't growling. It was just her tooth showed. And because she was black and a pit mix and an adult dog who looked like she was growling. It wasn't a very appealing dog. She was in a boarding kennel for years. I want to say around five years and maybe even seven. And it wears on you as a dog. You start to become a little more aggressive and reactive and anxious. And finally, we got her into a foster home. And after a few months, she didn't need to wear a muzzle which originally she had to in public. She became friendly with everybody. She went to the neighborhood bars and then she got adopted by her foster mom who loves her dearly. And now they walk with other dogs and this dog goes everywhere. She's in a backpack when they bike around the city. And it's just the coolest thing. A dog who was really suffering in boarding and moved into foster care and everything changed. How often do you see foster fails? I see it relatively frequently, but I will say it's not even close to half the time because we are trying to get people to be repeat fosters. The whole beauty of that is you learn something new every time there's a new foster dog in your home, whether it's a foster or your dog sitting. Basically, whenever you have a new animal in your home, you're learning something new about yourself and about dog care in general. 
So when somebody fosters a dog who's really anxious, maybe next time around, they'll look for another dog who's anxious. They know they can help that dog. It's a really great way to kind of expand your horizons. And when somebody wants to adopt, that's beautiful. And we definitely are supportive of that. But we want expert fosters. And that's something that's really, it's invaluable. And how do you find your fosters? We have something called a foster roster, and it's our online database that I had a tech developer create just for us. I think it's revolutionary. It's the central database, something like a common app, and anyone can apply. You can sign up right now. All you do is you put your basic information on it, something that every shelter will ask for, your name, email, phone, you know, whatever. And once we have the information of what your address is, and what you are looking for in a foster dog, we can help fine tune the selection of dogs for you. So Lonnie, if you tell me you only want a puppy and you tell me where your neighborhood is and your experience taking care of dogs, then we can say next time we have a group of puppies that are looking for a foster home, and they're in this area of the city, we can reach out to you and say, Lonnie, this is an opportunity for you where it takes some of the pressure off of you having to go scour all the social media accounts of every rescue group or look through pet finder and not necessarily know who needs a foster and who doesn't. So we've posted dogs that are beautiful and large and small and old and young, and there's something out there for everybody. So we're trying to get that into people's inboxes without having to ask them to go searching around. And it's really special because we're getting more rescue groups to utilize our foster roster. We got a grant for it from Maddie's fund and that's been really helpful, but we're still getting closer to getting it accepted by more rescue groups. Right now, you'll still need to fill out the application with each organization. So the rescue groups put their pets on right when they rescue them, or do they hold them for a year and then say, oh, they're not getting adopted. Let's now offer them for foster. How does that work? Yeah, the timeline is so different with each dog in each group. So sometimes there will be dogs who are maybe arriving this weekend and need placement And the rescue group knows that we've got a truck full of dogs coming and we don't have enough fosters. Here's the list of dogs. We recently did an outreach for a rescue group that needed placement for 23 puppies. So when we did that outreach, we got so many responses that wouldn't have otherwise been in touch with the rescue group. Those puppies probably will get adopted relatively quickly. It could be a couple weeks, two, three weeks maybe. We've had dogs that will be in foster care for months and maybe the foster mom or dad is going away and they need new placement. Uh, Sometimes we'll do outreach for dogs who are in a boarding kennel and need new placement. So they come from all different situations, sometimes straight from out out of state transport, straight from a different foster home, straight from a local shelter. And we try to be flexible so that we let people know that there's always different types of opportunities and different backgrounds of dogs that are coming in. And let's talk about the the people that are fostering for a minute. Is there, are there similarities between them? Is there an average amount of time that they keep these pets for? What is that like as being a foster? Yeah, fostering can be, usually we say anywhere from a couple weeks to a couple months. Sometimes it's a little shorter or longer, and it's a lot on how much you can do for the dog. So for example, there are people who've had dogs for months and do a ton of photos and go to all the events, and it's just sort of bad luck, but they they do as much as they can, and eventually it will work. 
with getting that dog adopted. There are people who post the dog once on on their Instagram and have 50 applications for that dog. So it's sometimes a crapshoot, but we we encourage people to do as much as they can to be that dog's marketing manager. And you have to be the biggest advocate for your foster dog because if if you're not doing it, then who is? And what happens if the foster human falls in love with the pet and doesn't want to give them up? How do you handle that? Yeah, sometimes somebody will uh, will have the dog for a long time, and then when they receive their first application, or uh, maybe they've received a lot of applications and this is the first good one, the, the foster parent will say, no, nah, you know what, I, I actually love this dog, I want to keep him. And it's, it's sweet, and the dog obviously is happy and doesn't know any differently. But we encourage people to then take in another foster after, so then they have their resident dog, who then is a foster sibling to other dogs. And if they're not okay having a new dog in the home, then it's a great thing you did by fostering and then adopting. So it's kind of always a happy ending, but there's different ways to get there. So they don't have the right of first refusal. They can't say, actually, I want to keep it if there's an application in or how does that? Typically, a foster parent has the first option to adopt the dog. So unless the rescue group says, we are placing this dog in your home, but we already have a list of applicants or this dog is looking for a different type of home. So typically the foster has the first option. And there are situations where maybe a dog shows that he or she would do better out in the country and is having too much anxiety, but the foster parent really wants to keep the dog. Sometimes the rescue group has seen this before and they know that a better placement would be X. So it's it can be a, a challenge and sometimes people get disappointed, but it's important to work with the rescue group that you feel good about. If you have an experience where you feel like you, you want to try a different rescue organization or you want to talk to other people who've done this. That's where Foster Dogs really excels is we have an online support group on Facebook, our foster forum. And this is a great place for people to just ask advice and say, look, I'm about to give away my foster dog. I'm devastated. I love this dog, but no, I can't keep him. Tell me how, how other people did it. So sometimes it's it's not just about wanting to keep the dog and not being allowed to. It's that you know that you you can't even keep the dog if you wanted to. With working with all these rescue groups, have you had experience with some rescue groups that you've been disappointed with the rescue group? Do you stop working with certain rescue groups over time? We do, and I think there's a new rescue group that pops up like every week, so it's hard to keep track. They're all doing great work, and they're all doing important work. So I try to, to keep tabs on all the groups just so that we know, because it's important when people are starting to foster uh, to send them in, in a good direction. Um, there are some groups that over the years we just haven't done as much work with anymore because um, maybe we've, we've had some experiences with them that we prefer not to have again. But there are so many more excellent groups than there are groups that, that have a little more work to be done. And we try to focus our efforts on places that that not only need it, but that are doing it well. We do a lot of work with many local foster-based groups in the New York City area. And if you want to see examples of that, just take a glance at our Instagram of like who we're tagging. And then, of course, the city shelter, ACC, we recently started pulling a few dogs from them. I just want to throw out there, it's important to adopt from your local shelter, whether in, you're in New York or elsewhere in the country, because... If you don't take a dog from the shelter, 
then, you know, and you're, you're scared to go, then those dogs are just sort of sitting there waiting for you. And it's an important job that they're doing. For many city shelters, they have to take in any animal that comes through their doors, like literally any species. So when you say, I'm scared to go, all right, there's other ways to get a dog, absolutely. But it's really a special thing to walk out those doors with a dog who needs you. You have dogs in other places beyond New York. So how have you expanded out and where can people access this? Yeah, fostering is an international concept and we have tools available to people all around the country, uh, such as a foster manual. So it's on our website, fosterdogsnyc.com slash manual. And that's a really vibrant, helpful PDF that has beautiful photos by Sophie Gamond and Dory Herman, whose dog was Chloe Cardogian. She did all the design. So it's this really visually appealing manual to say what to expect when you're fospecting is what we call it. And it's kind of soup to nuts. Here's, here's what you're going to get. And we hope that it encourages more people to start. But then for those who want some extra support who are currently fostering, We'll post their dogs on our social media. We're hoping to run adoption events around the country. We're going to figure out new ways to connect with rescue groups and shelters around the country over the next year. That's part of our our big master plan is to expand more nationally. Right now, there's a lot of work to be done in New York, and I don't think it will ever be perfect until obviously every animal has a home. But I think we've done a huge amount of work over the last few years, and hopefully we'll be able to bring that to a new city. As far as the pairing up the pet and the human, so once someone goes on the site and puts in their information, they get matched up. Sometimes they have to fill out the application from the rescue. Is there any other process they need to go through before they can take home the pet? Sometimes it's really quick where you'll apply and the rescue group says, okay, we'll give you a call tomorrow, we'll talk, and then come pick up the dog in two days. Um, Sometimes a shelter or rescue group will ask for more information. Maybe sometimes they have a dog who has very specific needs and they want to make sure that they're putting everyone in a safe position. But typically with fostering, rescue organizations want, want to move the dogs as quickly as possible so that they can then focus on the next animal that needs them. So it, it really depends. And there are some organizations where they say, just show up and you'll take home a dog, you know, later that day, the next day, or right then. I feel like there's many rescue organizations that are notoriously difficult to adopt from. They make you jump through all these hoops. They have all these, they want all these records and this very long process that often can dissuade people from moving forward because they feel like they're, it's impossible to get these dogs. Can you touch on that a little bit? Absolutely. I would love to talk to every person who's had a negative experience with adoption. I've heard so many stories, but my response to that is if you have had a negative experience with a rescue group shelter and you've been turned off and you feel kind of hurt by it, there are so many animals out there that need you and there are other ways to get that animal. So if you go to a group and you say, I want that dog, that specific dog, that's what I want. And the rescue group says, well, you know, you need X, Y, and Z, and you don't have that, and we just don't approve you for this dog, you can either be flexible and look at a different dog within that organization, or you can find another group, like literally go to your city shelter and take home a dog that same day. It's all about having a bit of flexibility. If somebody knows that they need 
a puppy that's friendly and healthy and non-shedding, there will be more of a, a waiting list for that type of dog. But if you don't have allergies and you don't need a dog to be a very specific weight and you don't need that dog's paperwork, there are so many options out there. So don't give up and don't feel like rescue is not for you because every organization has their own personality. Just keep in mind that there are so many animals that that really need homes that if you feel personally wronged by the rescue experience, you're not alone. There are ways to fix it and to, to find a dog for you or any other animal. And how long does it take to join the roster? The form itself takes like two, three minutes. I mean, it's super quick and we want to make it quick so that people can just sign up easily. We don't do all the screening. We'll do some preliminary screening of saying, okay, this person seems great for big dogs. Let's highlight that person. But every rescue group will have their own process and they may want a phone interview and we don't do that. That's up to each group that we work with. Part of what we do is is liaising. And so for us to connect person A with rescue group A, then it really saves so much of this confusion with the whole process of how do I start? What do I do? Where do I go? And how many rescue groups are you working with at the moment? At the moment, we're working with dozens. So I would venture, I guess, because it honestly depends. Again, there are new groups popping up every day. So uh, about 40. The dogs that are going into the fostering, are they generally fixed up before they go in? Or are the foster parents then taking them for regular visits and checkups? And if so, is there certain vets they have to go to or how does that process work it's a great question and it can be either the dog is perfectly ready to go adopted the next day or what is a little more typical is the dog needs a little more vet care Um, maybe he or she is recovering from an injury or a skin infection or eye surgery who knows And before the dog gets formally adopted, it's good for them to be as checked out as possible medically so that the adopter, once they bring the dog home, the dog is as ready to go as possible. When a dog gets into a foster home and needs a little more vet care, it could mean a couple visits to the vet. But one important aspect of fostering is that you're not paying for medical bills. And I think a lot of people don't realize that or maybe don't think about that until they bring home the dog and they say, oh, wait a second, I don't want to pay hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars in vet bills. I can't afford that. And our motto at Foster Dogs is that fostering should be free and you should basically spend as little as possible unless you want to. If you want to go get that dog a diamond collar, (laughs) go for it. Uh, If you want to take a cab with him everywhere, go for it. But if you have to bring a dog to and from an adoption event and that dog is too big for the subway, foster dogs can help with cab transport, uh, with reimbursement. We have a lending library where we help people with leashes, collars, toys, beds. So there are ways to make it basically free. And then medical care is covered by the rescue group. And that's something good to ask at the beginning of fostering, just to make sure. Let's touch on foster education a little bit more. Can you talk about the education courses you offer? We have some amazing workshops that we've created over the years. Our foster education series has fostering 101. So it goes along with the manual, what to expect when you're fospecting. I love the title because it's catchy and it's fun and it helps 
lighten the idea of it a little bit. It doesn't all have to be serious. Sit down. We're going to teach you really important information. (laughs) It's fun. And we want people to feel excited and, and smile a little bit. So our workshop series is starting September 17th, and we're going to have three workshops. We do uh, healthcare, like medical care, and talk about um, what to know when a dog first comes to you and doesn't necessarily come in the perfect health condition. We talk about training and how to help a dog learn how to walk on leash and maybe greet other dogs when you're out and about. But the biggest one and the, the one that we start with every year is fostering 101. And that's telling people what is fostering? Why is it important? And here are some ways to get your home ready. And here's really just how you start. And none of it is rocket science, but we want people to feel like this information is very accessible. We're working on getting this to be a webinar so that people outside of New York City can still join in. That was the next question. (laughs) Yeah, it's been highly demanded over the last few years, but we now are finally getting enough volunteer staff together to be able to do this. And are these courses free? Oh yeah. Yeah. Any of our programs are free for rescue groups, uh, fosters, really free for anybody. And we want to keep it that way. And we receive our funding through other methods with fundraiser events, grants, individual donations. You also have a famous fosters program. Can you talk about that? I love Famous Fosters because it helps spread the word about rescue, fostering, adoption, that whole shebang. It spreads it among a new audience that didn't necessarily know about it. And we don't want to always preach to the choir. We want people to learn about this from their peers and from trusted sources. So when we're talking about fostering on our social media, we're sharing it with people who already follow us. And when we have someone like Bad Girl Nails, she has so many followers, it's amazing. And she has this whole nail account on Instagram. She does manicures on herself and beautiful nails. And she has over a million followers, but doesn't necessarily have a connection with the dog rescue world. So through our collaboration with Susie's Senior Dogs to run hashtag Famous Fosters, We pull a dog from the animal shelter with uh, myself and the director of Susie's, and we will place the dog with someone like Sonia from Bad Girl Nails, and we'll ask them to foster the dog for a couple weeks and just literally treat the dog as their own and promote the dog, you know, through a couple posts. Because when they do that, their audience now has learned about fostering in a very organic, real way. We're not posing shots in a studio the dog is actually in someone's home and we're providing them with whatever they need so that they can feel empowered to not just do it once but maybe do it again in the future all the times we've done it the dogs have then found happy homes they've all been originally rescued from acc which is our city shelter and they then sometimes create their own instagram account And our last one was, uh, we had one a few months ago, Honey. She was a little cockapoo from the shelter who turned out even younger than we thought. Once we removed all those yucky teeth in her mouth, it turns out she was six years younger than than she was uh, thought to be at the shelter. So she's happy and living in New Jersey with a yard and two other rescue dogs. And that wouldn't have happened if not for Famous Fosters, who's spreading the word to not only help the dog that's with them, but changing minds at the same time. How do you find these famous fosters? 
we sometimes will reach out to people who we've connected with in the past. So one person was uh, Kamiko Glenn, who is on Orange is the New Black, and she plays Brooke Soso. She's amazing because she adopted a dog a few years ago, and we had connected with her at the time. And then when we reached out about Famous Fosters, she was so sweet about it and took in this dog. And, you know, we don't know that much about the dog. The dog's coming basically straight from the shelter. And she was able to spread the word. So sometimes it just happens organically through prior conversation. And sometimes we'll reach out to somebody who has posted about rescue maybe a little bit or seems like they would be interested in posting about rescue. But we're really excited to have some more famous fosters come into the program. So always open to new suggestions. You also have a FOSPIS program. Can you touch on that a little? FOSPIS is a really special, unique program in that it's not a typical foster experience. You're taking in a dog in the end of his or her life. So whether that's a few weeks or a few months, we've had a couple of FOSPIS dogs who've been in foster care for a couple of years, but there's just no way to know. So we want people who are looking for a really special experience, but uh, knowing that the dog is going to pass away eventually, you know, in their care. And that's a necessary part of this process is having compassion and knowing when it's okay to, to say goodbye and let that dog go. And I try to remind people it's not a sad program because we're doing something that is important and required, I think, in the world of rescue is why are, why are we letting terminally ill and super senior dogs pass away in a space where they have nobody with them? Like why in a shelter when they could easily just be in a home and just sleep the day away, get a little snack every now and then? They're so much easier than people realize. It's sometimes just about, honestly, compassion. So with FOSPIS, we've had probably about 30 dogs in the program, and it's not a huge number because each one gets so many special perks and uh, photo shoot and gifts from not just us, but our participating companies so that the dog feels special and the caretaker feels special. So it's not for everyone, but those who do it feel very passionate about it. Do you see a lot of repeats in this program? We do. Almost everyone who's done FOSPIS through us has asked for another FOSPIS dog when that dog died. And it's been a cool thing to see this circle of people who learn something from each dog. So in that regard, it's similar to typical fostering, but who go through that difficult experience. We do remind people that this is not their childhood dog. So the trauma is different. It's, it can be sad when that dog dies but it's hopefully not going to be so traumatic that you can't find it in your heart to do it again for another dog. Future plans. So the web training expanding across the U.S. Is there anything else that you're working on? We, we have lots of exciting plans. And once we have a, enough people to be able to do that, then we can certainly go further with these big dreams. Right now, we have a staff of, of one and a huge volunteer team. And so because of the volunteers, the organization is able to do as much by doing much bigger projects. That's going to be something that we need more staff to do. So right now, webinars, expanding the workshop series, expanding to more cities, 
that's that would be a major thing and building out our foster roster so there's a lot of really cool goals and i'm hoping that more people will foster and not just foster but also volunteer and, and help with their skills because just because you can't bring a dog home doesn't mean that you can't help the dog rescue cause so to close why should people foster I would love to remind people that fostering is not just about helping the dogs. It's also about helping yourself. You're able to feel really good about something that is so yours. It's your experience. And you take the dog out. You meet new people. You go to new parks. Sometimes people foster a dog to lose weight, take a (laughs) lot of walks around the city. And you connect with the community. You have, honestly, you've got great content for your selfies to do, you know, on Instagram. It's a really cool experience that comes with challenges, but there's so many more positives than there are negatives. So I hope more people will want to foster. Maybe if they can't do that, uh, then they can volunteer and help out. And honestly, just sharing a dog on your social media or telling a family friend that can make a huge difference because you never know who's listening. What upcoming events do you have where people can come and meet these pets? We typically run adoption events and fundraisers and some really cool ones that are coming up are our Chloe Cardogian Memorial, um, aka Celebration of Life, and that will be September 26th. That's all a FOSPIS fundraiser. And people can bring their dogs, meet the new kimchi Cardogian, and celebrate the life of Chloe, who is a very big supporter of Fospice. And we have another really fun program on October 6th with Best Friends Animal Society. There's a whole national fundraiser, and it's going to be a dog walk in the morning on the 6th. And all of these local rescue groups and national organizations are going to be fundraising and walking dogs. So bring your dog, come solo, adopt a dog. And it's called? It's Strut Your Mutt. And people can learn more about it on our Instagram page, Facebook page, our website. Just go to fosterdogsnyc.com. And that's Strut Your Mutt on October 6th. And are you looking for more volunteers? And if so, how can people join? We're really looking for more volunteers, people who are skilled in certain areas. You never know where your skills can help. So we've had people who are good with tech, who are good with uh, hospitality, who are good with uh, accounting. There are all different ways to help out, whether it's our organization or to help out any kind of animal welfare group. Um, You can use your skills and just help out where you can. And how can they get in touch with you to apply to be a volunteer? You go to our website and we have a page where we ask people to uh, to apply to our volunteer link. And that way we have their information handy and can reach out with upcoming opportunities. And for donating as well. Donating is on our website, fosterdogsnyc.com. And right now we're encouraging people to donate straight to our Strut Your Mutt fundraiser. And that link is on our Instagram page. It's bit.ly slash fosterdogsstrut. And if you can't remember that, just go to our website. Thank you so much for coming in, Sarah. This is awesome. Thank you, Lonnie. This is so fun. That was Sarah Brasky, founder of Foster Dogs, a nonprofit organization that connects rescue organizations, fosters, and other partners to help dogs in need. To learn more about Foster Dogs, or to donate, or to get involved with their upcoming events, visit fosterdogsnyc.com. You can also find them on Instagram and Facebook at Foster Dogs. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us an awesome review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, 
email us at podcast at petinsider.com. To listen to past episodes, visit petinsider.com slash podcast. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon.